to uh, bring people into positions of, of uh, working and authority in the church in different areas. Yeah, preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. None of these things, nothing that we do as a church falls outside of this charge. You may not agree with that yet, and you may not agree at the end of this, but I hope you will see that, and you probably already understand that. Preach the word, he says. Preaching, of course, is a declaration. This is a word that's used of someone who is a herald, someone who goes out, not, interestingly enough, not with his own ideas, but he's an ambassador. He has the message from someone else, the leader, the king, whoever it might be. He has this message. And, and Paul is saying, you need to be the herald for the king. You need to be the king's spokesman in this situation. You need to preach the word. You need to declare what exactly that? The word. Not a word. Not just some good word. Not just some good words. But the word. Now I know that's simple. I know that's simple. But as we go down through this, let's see how important the importance that Paul places on this as he challenges Timothy and charges Timothy with this task of preaching the word. In this, in this epistle, uh, and we're going to go back and look at a few examples, but in this epistle we have, there are 36 references to the true gospel of Jesus Christ just in these four little chapters here. 36 times there's a reference to that. That must mean there's something, uh, some importance being placed on that concept in this book. There are also 17 other references that talk about false teachings. That's a pretty good juxtaposition there. Uh, a lot of speaking about the word, enough talking about false teaching that we need to say, hey, something's going on that, that must be happening, or at least there's a potential for that to happen. These things are important. These things are, are here for a reason. And if we look back through here, we can just take a few examples. You have some on your, on your sheet there. The testimony of our, of our Lord is one of the references. And, and I, I, you, you could kind of skip over that one if you weren't thinking about it, possibly. You might not throw that into that mix of references to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But look at what it says in chapter 1. And uh, we'll go down here to, to uh, verse number 8. He says, be not, therefore thou, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. All right, just stop right there for a moment. Don't be ashamed of what Jesus Christ went through, nor of what I am going through. Do not let that be something that you're ashamed about, okay? That's simple enough again. And we have, we've heard Paul say that before. We've heard him say in, in Romans chapter 1 that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he's telling Timothy, don't you be ashamed of it either. But there you go. We're referencing back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, in the rest of this verse, be not, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. This is not a general statement of, you know, times are going to be tough. <laughs> You're going to go through some difficulties in your life. He's bringing back to Timothy that concept there are going to be difficulties because of preaching the gospel and there are going to be opportunities for you to shy away from that. Timothy, I charge you, preach the word. Preach it. And then in the uh, same chapter of chapter 1, you look down to verse number 13, he says, hold fast the form of sound Words. Now, again, if you just stop there, it's already good. 
okay? It's already good. We want sound words. We want things that uh, uh, make a lot of sense. We want good wisdom. We want to talk to people when we, when we need understanding about something. We want to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Somebody called me the Reverend Dr. Newton just a few minutes ago, playing around. <laughs> and, you know, like, yeah, you don't want me for a doctor. <laughs> I'll mess it up. But you, you don't come to me for surgery. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, any kind of doctor, let alone that kind. So, so you, you don't, you, you, you want sound words. You want words that are um, pure words, that are correct words, that, are, that are, have a good foundation that you know you can trust. But he doesn't stop there. He says, hold fast to the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you've heard me say some things. You've heard me through the years preach this word. You've heard me preach sound words. I heard a little story. I think it was yesterday. Uh, Somebody asked a guy, uh, he says, uh, did you ever get good advice from your parents? And he said, oh, I wish I had listened to what my parents told me. And the other person said, well, what did they tell you? He said, I don't know. I wasn't listening. I mean, that's kind of the way we are sometimes. It's there. It's available. <laughs> and uh, we look back on it sometimes. Oh, if I had just listened, you know. But he says to Timothy, look, hold fast. Own them. Own the word. What am, I, what am I saying by own it? The holding fast. I, get it. Grab it. Never let it go. He's telling his son in the faith, you're going to be in the ministry. You're going to run through these difficulties. Preach the word. Get a hold of the sound words. Get a hold of them and never let them go. Don't let anything shake you off of them. Own them. You go to the original language there and that that idea comes through, possession, holding fast. This is mine. (laughs) Have you ever had anything that you really, really cherished and you just held on for all you're worth? I have a goofy little dog. And this dog has one obsession and it's called a tennis ball. And he loves for you to grab it and throw it and play with it. But once in a while, he wants to keep it. And when he does, it takes somebody almost as big and tough as me to get it out of his mouth. Because he holds fast to that thing. I mean, he's like, he won't bite you over it, but he will fight you for it. <laughs> I mean, he'll pull and tug of war until one of you has to give up. And uh, that's, that's kind of the idea. Own it. This is mine. Is that the way, is that the way Timothy should have seen the word that he was to preach? Yeah. What good is it if I stand up here and tell you beautiful, wonderful things, <laughs> sound words, correct words, truthful words, and yet I step outside and say something completely different? What, what, what good is that? What benefit is there in that? You might gain something because you've heard the word. Great, wonderful. But is that my place as, the, as a minister of the gospel to just say the words? No. What about you? You know, what is the word to you? It's wonderful. It's precious. It's it's encouraging. It lifts me up. And this, and that, and all these wonderful things that are true. <laughs> but do you really own it? Do you really possess it? Can you really say this is mine? You don't have to know it all. That takes a while. 
took me about 40 years now. Just kidding. <laughs> it takes a whole lifetime and then some, I'm sure, to get it all. But don't you love it when you come across one of those nuggets that's just so real? You've all had that. I mean, you've all had that. You're, you're, you need a specific... I'm not saying we ought to flip through the pages and just point our finger and let God speak to us necessarily. I mean, I don't get into all that mysticism, but there are times when I'm going through something and I'm just reading through the Bible and I'm honestly sometimes not expecting to get a specific <laughs> encouragement or whatever and it just shows up and it just, ooh, you know, it just hits you. You've had that. I know you have. Some of y'all too rigid and, you know, stayed to say anything about it. I might shout a little bit when it happens to me. You probably wouldn't do And that's okay. Everybody does it their own way. <laughs> but you know, that's mine. That's mine. All of it's God's Word. I know that. But boy, there's some things that just come out to you at the right moment. And you latch on to that. Folks, let me tell you, we need to do that with every jot and tittle, with every word, with every sentence, with every expression that's within that book. You don't understand it yet, work on it a little bit more. But when you get it, get it. Own it. That's what he's telling Timothy. Timothy, if you're going to have a a real ministry with other people, you need to do that. You need to do that. And then in chapter 2, in verse 2, he says, the things that thou hast heard... (laughs) Of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach teach some also, teach others also. So when you get it, Timothy, when you really own it yourself, Timothy, find you somebody else that's looking for that same thing. Not everybody's going to be there, but look around for somebody else and give it to them. Commit it to them, hand it to them. Tell them, hey, this can be yours too. (laughs) This can be yours. Spread it. You know that the people around you need it as much as you do. You know that. Commit it to others, Timothy. As a minister of the gospel, you start this snowball rolling. There's no telling how far it'll go and how big it'll get. That's our job. Kind of give it a kick, you know. (laughs) But then it goes and it hits somebody else and then it hits somebody else and it builds and it builds and pretty soon you got a church of people doing that. Loving and owning the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. I don't mean you have to necessarily step up into the pulpit, but you get out and proclaim to people, hey, you know what? I've got a message from the King and it's good. Let me tell you about it. Do you love to tell the story? <laughs> Some of the things he says after that in in, in chapter 2 still, he's, he's talking about some things here. That you, it's going to take a little work, all right? This is going to take a little work. Uh, you know this verse very well, I'm sure. Chapter 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, you know, I'm not going to get into a long debate about the word study here, but it doesn't mean particularly what we think of today. That doesn't mean that it's a wrong translation. Not saying that. I'm just saying that back in the day that the King James Version was translated, that word study didn't mean exactly what we understand it to mean today. It meant to give it your all, get in there and do it, which will include what we understand is studying, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. In other words, give your all to this. Be diligent about doing this. That's exactly what the word meant back in those days. We've changed it. I don't know why. <laughs> Languages change, but that's, that's just the case. He says here, 
study to show yourself approved. Do everything you can. Be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, there's a lot of work involved in the ministry, both on the part of the minister and those who are being committed, the word, having the word committed to them. There's a lot of work. But this is a specific work here, and this work here has to do with preaching the word. Study show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, it comes right back to the word. There are plenty of other things that pastors have to do and other ministers of the gospel have to do and all the rest of us have to do for the sake of God. But they all come back to this point. Preach the word. Here he's talking about rightly dividing it. In other words, getting a right understanding of it. It's a really cool expression. I, I'm, I may have said this here and somebody else may have said it in your hearing as well. But uh, it's, it's the idea of cutting something into straight lines. That's more or less the idea that we have here. Uh, when we get rightly dividing. Again, that's something that doesn't necessarily come across to us immediately, but it, it means to cut things up in, into straight lines and such. And, and the image seems to be, this is a, I've heard this from a number of people, it seems to be true. We understand that Paul was a tent maker by trade. Well, he would have to take the animal skins and he'd have to cut them in order to piece them together to make a tent. They didn't have just big canvas and all this stuff, you know, coming off the machines. No, they had to take animal skins. Well, in order to get them to fit right, they'd have to rightly divide them. That was the word. That word was used for that, that idea, cutting those pieces to, get, to, 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 to fit together correctly. So that when you have a deluge like we have today, <laughs> the water's not going to come in because there are no gaps. There are no holes in between. And that's what we're supposed to do with the Word of God. Does your theology have holes in it? Hope not. <laughs> Again, you may not understand everything. That's fine. But is the basis of what you teach people and preach people, is it solid? Is it correct? Is, does it line up? That scripture over there lining up with that scripture over there lining up with this scripture in here. Do they all fit together to make one really smooth working piece that has no holes in it? That's exactly what he told Timothy to work hard to get done. Make sure your doctrine is right. Make sure you're teaching the right thing. It's great to preach the word. Make sure you're preaching the right word and that you're explaining it correctly as best you can. You know, you may find out later that you cut a piece wrong. All right, go back over there and fix it. I've done that once, no, several times. You mess up sometimes. You, you, you think this fits with that and then you go, oh, that doesn't really go. Yeah. That's all right. We have grace. We're all right. And then finally, almost finally, Chapter 2 still, verse 24, the servant of the Lord, he says, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men and apt to teach and patient and other things. But in the middle of that, you're supposed to, if you're in the ministry, you're supposed to be able to teach the word. And again, if you're going to commit that to others, (laughs) then they're going to have to be apt to teach or capable. I mean, that's not such a hard word, apt. It it means capable, uh, uh, um, able, enabled is a good way to put it, all right? So when you commit it to people, help them get there to where they understand it enough and have the ability to communicate it. Moving along, just in case I'm not communicating well. Then we have one more of those references that we're talking about that you all know, I'm sure, which is in chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. How much of Scripture is given by inspiration? Thank you. Every bit of it. Preach the Word, Timothy. Preach the word, all of it's given by inspiration. 
I, again, I may not get it all, all at one time, but I know one thing, it's right. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Timothy preached the word. Let's go back to our text and we'll wrap this up shortly here. The notes are pretty simple from here on out. When should I preach the word? Verse number two, he says, preach the word, be instant. That means ready. That means prepared. That means, you know, <laughs> you, you're going to come out here and it's pouring down rain and you got to get to the car and you're waiting for that gap in the rain and as soon as it comes, you, you're ready. You don't want to get soaked. You're gonna, there's a break. Boom. You're in the blocks, you know, taking off. Be that way. Timothy, be that way about preaching the word. Be, be ready, instant, in season and out of season. What does that mean? When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When should we not preach the word? Well, yeah, I don't want to offend people, you know. I, 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 I agree, okay? I do agree. I don't want to be offensive with my gospel presentation either. I really don't. Maybe I am sometimes, but I don't want to be. But I think sometimes we make that an excuse too, just to be honest with you. We make that an excuse sometimes. Well, they probably don't really want to hear it. You know? Could it be that I wasn't ready to preach it at that moment? Something to consider, right? When it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Instant, in season, out of season. Then he uses these other words. In the process of preaching, here are things you need to do. You need to reprove. Reproving means to correct the sin. Correct the sin. In other words, when you come across that passage and you're teaching it or preaching it or helping your brother in Christ along in his understanding of the Word of God, and you come on this thing and it's, and it's talking about sin, and you might even think that your brother's in that sin, what are you supposed to do? You can say it's only the pastors are supposed to do that. Whatever. I don't know. I understand the context here. But the preaching of the word that's committed to other men includes reproof. Name it. In John chapter 16, we won't turn there because of time, but if you want to write it down, or I think maybe on there. No, I don't think it is on there. But John 16, uh, verse 8, uh, Jesus is talking to some folks, and he said, I've got to go. I've got to go back to my father. But when I go, I'm going to send another comforter. When he comes, he's going to reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. They need to know their sin. There is sin. Know what it is. They need to know that there is righteousness that demands retribution for that sin, correction for that sin, and they need to know that there is a God who judges that sin. And we have to communicate that to people if we're going to be faithful. Now, uh, let me bring that back one step. If the minister of the gospel, one of your pastors, for example, <laughs> comes to you in that light, how are you going to receive that too? All right? Let's flip it around that way. How will you receive that? One of your pastors comes and says, hmm, this is what the Bible says about this particular thing. How do you receive that? If he's preaching the word, you need to accept it. Then he goes on after reproof, he says to rebuke. Rebuking means to convince the sinner. We use the words convince and convict pretty interchangeably when we're talking about biblical things. Convince, convict, and the idea is to bring it to a point of judicial statement. In the reproof, I have said this, this is sin. And I've said 
possibly you're, you're in it. Now I'm bringing it down home. <laughs> I'm bringing it right down home. Brother, sister, you're doing this and you're in sin and God hates it. That's something that the man of God has to do sometimes. That's something that we end up having to do with others sometimes if we're trying to help them in their in sin. I, I, <laughs> there's a couple of references there that you can take home with you, Matthew 16. It's, well, just briefly, uh, in that passage, you know Matthew 16, there, where, where uh, Jesus asks him, who do men say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? Wonderful passage of scripture. And on this rock I will build my church. Great stuff. And just, I mean, just a little bit after that, Jesus starts talking about dying and Peter, said, Peter rebukes him. <laughs> Peter accuses Jesus of sinning. What do you mean you're going to go be killed? That would be wrong. Peter has the audacity to accuse Jesus of sin. Of course, Jesus in his grace and mercy doesn't smite him on the spot. And we know the rest of that story. And then uh, in John chapter 8, again, we won't go there for time, but in John chapter 8, uh, we're, we're talking about Jesus talking. This is a harsh back and forth between him and the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and all. And, and it's back and forth. And he says, you're, you're, you're of, the, of your father, the devil. You just are, you know. And they're, they're saying, how can you do that? And he finally comes down to this point uh, there in verse 46. He says, which one of you accuses me of sin? Which one of you convinces me, rebukes me of sin? They go on with the argument, but nobody ever says you did this or that or the other sin. Nobody ever did that. The rest of the passage, it never comes out that way because he had not sinned. And then we get to the next word. It says exhort. We're to reprove, we're to rebuke, and we're to exhort. And I'm afraid too many times, many of us, including those of us who are in the ministry, may fall short right here at this spot. We may be willing to rebuke, and we may be willing to reprove. And it's just, it's just so much more comfortable when I'm talking about your sin than if I had to deal with my sin, of course. And so I can go to you and say, brother, that's sin. The Bible says that's sin, and you're doing it. And you've you got to know God's going to judge that sin. Okay, might have to do that. And then what happens? One of two things. They run away or they repent. <laughs> you hope they repent. Well, what happens if they repent? That's where this one comes in, exhortation then you exhort them. You correct the sin, you, you um, convince the sinner, and then you've got to comfort the sorrowful. This is a neat word. It, it has the word para on the front of it, just like the comforter has the word paraclesis. The, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And, and this is a word that's very similar to that. And exhorting means to come alongside someone. Not stand back here and say, you filthy sinner, Boom, go get straightened out. Neither is it to run out in front of them and say, here you go, this is what you should be like, look at me. No, it says to come alongside and keep them from falling. Because when you're hurt and you've been in sin and you've been reproved and you've been rebuked, you hurt and you're down. And, and things can go a couple of ways there too. And you need somebody to come alongside you and say, brother, I know, I get it. Man, I've been there too. Let me help you along. And if you start to trip, I'm going to be right here next to you. I'm going to hold you up so you don't fall. That's exhortation. That is so key to this ministry of preaching the word. It's so key. Why should we preach the word? 
He tells us in verses 3 and 4, for the time will come. Now, folks, this is not necessarily prophetic to our time. We like to believe that way. We're in the bad time. He's talking to somebody who's going to face this exact thing in his day. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) Pile them up. More teachers. I need to hear even more more people teaching me about the Bible because I I don't quite understand it yet. And all you're going to do is just get more and more confused. I'm not telling you to follow one man and one person's doctrine. I'm just saying you got to be careful about all the people you pile on to your theological learning. There'll be a time when they're not going to listen to sound doctrine. They're going to have itchy ears and go like, I got to have something better. I got to have something more flamboyant. I got to have something fancier. These sound words are not getting it for me. I need something prettier than this. He said, it's going to happen, Timothy, in your lifetime. People are going to desire this. And he says in verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. What's the remedy? Preach the word. It's going to happen. There are going to be people that do that. But how can you possibly help someone who's veered that direction? There's only one way. Preach the word. When it's convenient, you know, when everybody's smiling at you and you're preaching stuff that everybody likes, I like that. Y'all been real nice tonight. (laughs) I like that. But when you have to preach the hard stuff and people are not happy with you and people are angry with you, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Whatever's going on, whatever situation you're in, whatever your church needs, whatever the people around you need, do this one thing, Timothy. Always do this one thing. (laughs) Always. Folks, if you've been entrusted with the word of God also, the man of God has entrusted you with the word, do this one thing. Preach the word. Convenient, inconvenient, be kind, be an exhorter, a lifter up, but preach the word. We're going to take some time in prayer and um, just want to encourage you tonight to think of those that you know who have fallen away and pray for them especially as well. Then you might ask the Lord, is there something I can do? Is there some way I can be the one to come alongside that person and give them what they need?